Hello, and welcome to this FRDH podcast. I'm Michael Goldfarb. Once again, Venezuela is in the news. Finally. Over the last few years, more than three million people have fled the country. Economic mismanagement by the government of Nicolas Maduro has led to an astonishing hyperinflation. The Venezuelan people are now in the streets. Many are demanding an end to the rule of President Maduro. Others are demonstrating in support of the government he represents, the Bolivarian Revolution, begun by his predecessor, Hugo Chavez. It is not the first time there have been demonstrations against the Chavez-Maduro rule. A little more than a decade ago, people came out against Chavez. Venezuela is an oil-rich country, but the mismanagement of the revenue from oil by military governments and governments of the right, and now a government notionally of the left, but in reality a government of mafia, has plagued the society for decades. So has its complicated relationship with the United States. In early 2007, after a series of demonstrations against Hugo Chavez, I went to Venezuela to make a documentary for the BBC World Service about that relationship. Chavez was very skillful at playing on people's fears of American intervention. George Bush was still president, the invasion of Iraq very much on the global mind, and there had been bad blood between the Bush administration and Chavez after a failed coup attempt against him linked to the U.S., back in 2002. At the time of my visit, Chavez had ridden out the most recent storm and regained popularity, in part thanks to Bush's cack-handed approach. What follows is a 12-minute long extract from that documentary. It was a rough draft of that moment in history, but it will tell you, through the words of Venezuela's people, not its officials, a bit about their views of the U.S. and the constant possibility of America interfering in their country. America has been a superpower for a long time, its economic and foreign policies affecting vast swathes of the planet with neither citizens nor officials really grasping just how much resentment this creates. This is especially true in neighboring Latin America, where from time to time anti-American sentiment boils over for everyone to see. In the spring of 1958, then-Vice President Richard Nixon embarked on a goodwill tour of South America. There were protests in each country along the way, characterized in the American press as communist-inspired, nothing to do with how people really felt. But at the last stop, in Caracas, capital of Venezuela, things got a little out of hand, as a news report from the Times shows. The motorcade stops for traffic. The mob catches up and attacks the cars with stones and clubs. Mr. and Mrs. Nixon are spat upon and reviled, while an inadequate police guard sits by, helplessly. itself testifies to the savagery of the mob. The Nixons cut short their visit and flew back to Washington, where a welcoming ceremony was hastily arranged in their honor. An ovation greets Mr. and Mrs. Nixon, a nonpartisan gesture of sympathy for their ordeal and of appreciation for their courage and bearing as representatives of our country. The news report's narration softens to keep its American audience safely cocooned. I can tell you that from my observations in each one of the countries we visited, that the great majority of the people, the great majority in all walks of life, 
are friendly to the United States today. And this is true of every one of the countries. The Plaza Sucre, a busy crossroads at the outskirts of the Venezuelan capital. Pompeo Marquez, an elderly, vigorous man who has spent a lifetime in the full range of South American politics, from guerrilla fighter to government minister, has brought me here for a specific reason. In May 58, there was a demonstration here waiting for Vice President Richard Nixon, and people were chanting. You know the slogan that was popular around the world, Yankee, go home? Here they changed it to Nixon, go home. In 1958, Venezuela had just returned to the democratic path. A military dictatorship had been overthrown, and Vice President Nixon had come to show U.S. support for the new government. While the crowds tried to tear Nixon out of his car, Pompeo Marquez was a few miles away at the Miraflores, the presidential palace, trying to arrange emergency security. Anticipating trouble, U.S. warships were already patrolling in the Caribbean, just north of Caracas, and it was clear to Venezuela's new government that if the vice president was harmed, the country would be invaded. The prospect was very real to Marquez, who had spent most of the previous decade underground, fighting the dictatorship which took power in 1948, also with U.S. support. It was the moment when the process of decolonization was beginning. The world was divided back then. There was a confrontation between the socialist world and the capitalist world. And the perception the non-developed countries had of that divide created a really intense rejection of the policies of the United States. From the very beginning, the U.S. has been a driving presence in Latin American history. Inspired by the example of the American colony's successful war of independence against the British, Simone Bolivar, a Venezuelan, led a series of revolutions against the Spanish and French to gain independence for the nations of South America in the second decade of the 19th century. But much to Bolivar's profound disappointment and incomprehension, he found the United States frequently working against his interests as he sought European allies in his fight for liberation. Bolivar wrote, What brothers are these that fail to recognize our independence even after Europe has done so? And he added a prophetic fear. The United States of North America seems destined by providence to plague Latin America in the name of liberty. Bolivar's words are often quoted by Chavez. The U.S. codified the source of Bolivar's despair in 1823 when President James Monroe announced what is today called the Monroe Doctrine, saying that any European power's attempt to extend its political system into South America would not be regarded with indifference. Indifference is a diplomatic way of saying that the U.S. would actively resist it. As it was in 1823, so it was in the decades after World War II, the Cold War, when, in America's eyes, the foreign power seeking influence in Latin America was the Soviet Union. Since the end of the Cold War, American policymakers' failure to adapt to the new realities of life in Latin America or to acknowledge the mistakes of the past frustrates many in Venezuela, and not just the supporters of the left-wing populist Hugo Chavez. 
I think that it's a mistake to believe that only leftist people, of those who, who are at the left, have doubts in regards to the international policy of the United States. Virginia Betancourt, director of the Betancourt Foundation, dedicated to promoting democracy in Latin America. The relationship with America, it's, it's a love-hate affair, complicated, because they themselves don't have one in a long-range policy to follow. Virginia Betancourt knows better than probably anyone in Venezuela how positive and how negative a role the U.S. has played in modern Latin American history. Her father, Romulo Betancourt, became president of the country in 1945 in a military coup, but inspired, she says, by the example of Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal, he set about a program of democratic reform. Romulo Betancourt organized Venezuela's first elections with universal suffrage. But in 1948, the government elected in that vote was overthrown by a military coup supported by the U.S. Nevertheless, the Betancourt family sought refuge in America, where Virginia was educated. She says she understands completely the Chavez strategy of demonizing the United States. It works. (laughs) It's easy to claim that because of America, we lack uh, food. Uh, it's in, in the very simple terms, it's, it's very easy to convey that issue to people who are uh, uh, without lack education and lack services and lack hope, especially that, the last one. And uh, at the other side, also America has a history of being insensitive to the needs of Latin America, which is their neighbor. So uh, I I think that uh, taking that position is a sign of intelligence. Even when the U.S. is not directly involved in the coups that have plagued Latin America throughout its modern history, successive American government's support for military dictatorships have created a wariness of the big country to the north that is always present, according to Betancourt. People have memory, and the scars that are produced by very drastic measures from the military world against civil population during dictatorial regimes, the strength of the training by the American troops of Latin American military in anti-guerrilla strategies proved to be very efficient in uh, destroying in a very dramatic way, people's lives, literally. And that has kept the memory, it's there. Not only in the specific countries where it was worst, like Argentina and Chile, but also it spread to other countries, the news spread. As you drive around Caracas, you can hear this tune, the signature tune of radio station 23rd of January. The 23rd of January, 1958, is a politically significant date. The pendulum swung to democracy after a decade of dictatorship, and it's also the name of a new neighborhood built then to celebrate the occasion. From its founding, the 23rd of January Barrio has been a stronghold of progressive political activism. Guadalupe Rodriguez grew up there and has raised her own children there and today manages the radio station. The U.S. has loomed large in Rodriguez's life and not always in a negative way. 
Mi, mira, mi primera impresión ya más clara, ¿no? Cuando, cuando ya... My first impression was that the United States was a wonderland. Everybody here wanted to go there, to travel there, go shopping there, even to have their weddings there. In the middle of the 1970s, when the Cold War burned hot in Latin America, from Chile to Argentina to Nicaragua, something happened that hardened Rodriguez's feelings towards the U.S. Yo me acuerdo... For instance, in 1975, Henry Kissinger came to Caracas, and there was already a strong feeling of rejection against the United States of America. I had this friend, this compañero, that was killed in the demonstration against Henry Kissinger. He was killed by the National Guard, and that crime remains unsolved to this day. And that fits my feelings of rejection towards the U.S. It is common in Latin America for people to link the brutality of their regimes during the Cold War with the U.S. We were talking in the studio of the radio station. The place was originally built as a police station, around the time Guadalupe Rodriguez's friend was killed, and she remembers the building not as a place where crimes were solved, but as a symbol of political repression in the service of the U.S. But the complications of the relationship with America touch Rodriguez as well, her 19-year-old son is a gifted baseball player and has been invited to America to play professionally. In my son's case, it's an unavoidable situation. He likes baseball. He's been playing since he was three and a half years old. The United States controls big league baseball, so if he wants to play professionally, he has to go there. But that's not the point. If he goes there and does well and succeeds, the main thing is for him not to forget his country and his culture and his background growing up in the 23rd of January barrio. The main thing is for him to come back and help his country somehow, help to develop sports in Venezuela and not to forget he's a Venezuelan citizen. Part of being Venezuelan, part of being Latin American, is this very difficult fact of life. The U.S. looming across the Caribbean is the source of wealth for much of the continent. 20% of Brazil's exports go to the U.S., 40% of Colombia's, and a whopping 88% of Mexico's exports go to America. In Venezuela, more than 50% of exports head north. It's a tie that cannot be broken and makes ordinary Americans influential partners of Latin America, something Virginia Betancourt wishes Americans would understand. I think that uh, most American citizens are very limited in their political views, very much uh, uh, oriented to their own interests. And Betancourt feels that American citizens need to become more active in exercising their democratic rights to make sure that their country regains the admiration of the world. You have had to leave there to realize that really people have power in America. <laughs> the majority has power. <laughs> it is not the decision of one man of, or of one Congress what defines the policies of the country. But it will take a long time to undo the memories of the last six decades in Latin America and for a majority of people to look at the United States with admiration rather than envy. Standing in the Plaza Sucre, reminiscing about the day Richard Nixon was attacked, Pompeo Marquez told me, I'm a fighter, I'm still a fighter for social justice, for democracy. I demonstrated against Bush in Iraq. I felt it was necessary. It is a consequence of the way I lived my life from the age of 14 until now. Today, 
I'm 85 years old and I'm still fighting against the United States. I don't know if Pompeo Marquez is still alive. I doubt it. He'd be in his late 90s. But I do know that skepticism about America is part of not just Venezuelans' worldview, but most Latin Americans, and particularly those who live in the Caribbean basin. It would be nice if this was one crisis where an American administration does not feel the need to intervene. The people of Venezuela should be the ones to determine its resolution. And I hope that it doesn't lead to civil war or a military coup. And that's all for this FRDH podcast. You can hear more, lots more, at the website, www.goldfarbpod.com. Please visit, and while you're there, please make a donation to keep the podcasts coming. Thanks.